This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. Good evening, uh, brothers and sisters, to Christchurch, Jerusalem, to our evening Bible study, where we are studying the last words of Moses, um, chapter 21, um, focusing on Moses' farewell speech to the people of Israel as they are prepared to uh, begin the conquest of the land of Canaan and set up a society that is to reflect the character of God and to be a light to the nations. Um, brother, would you lead us in acknowledging the presence of God? Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the source of all wisdom and insight, everlasting love and faithful to generations. And we look to you this evening again, Lord, for, for your assistance, for the treasure of your Holy Spirit to unfold the word to us. We pray, Lord, that you'd be with Aaron and, and enable him to convey what's on his heart about this passage. And Father, we thank you for our fellowship in your name and, and the treasures of your word. Amen. Amen. All right. So going over the notes from our discussion and study from last week. Last week we were studying 21 verses 1 to 14, although we also studied the, um, the, the, the last tail end of Deuteronomy 20. So Deuteronomy 20 verses 19 to 20. The final two verses of chapter 20 describe the rules of engagement in war regarding the proper treatment of the creation. Nature is not to become a victim in human warfare. God's command to man to dominate the earth is not permission to destroy it. Sin and holiness, as we have seen uh, in previous passages, are transferable to people, places, and objects. The Torah notes that the land itself can become stained with sin that has been performed by a human. Adam ate the fruit and the earth was cursed, yet the earth had done nothing wrong. Having dominion also meant bearing responsibility for the creation. So in Numbers 35, 33 to 34, it states that human blood in particular pollutes the ground. In Jewish tradition, the blood of Abel still speaks from the earth and became intertwined in the passage of redemption. And Leviticus 18, 24 to 28, describes a situation in which the earth reacts to human sin and vomits the people from the land. The land does the expelling and not God. And we noted in our discussion that during war, the earth stops producing food. There is a reduction in participate, pre precipitation. Animal life and all its benefits flee from the area. Conversely, the earth also reacts positively to human care. And we noted that the regeneration of the land of Israel as an example, as the Jewish people have returned and began to care for the ground. Now in chapter 21, having noted that blood pollutes the earth, has had, does have its consequences, Moses introduces legislation for the atonement of an unsolved murder. A heifer that had never been worked is sacrificed by the elders of the closest city to the body of the victim. The ceremony includes the washing of hands, reflecting the innocence of the crime, which we see again in the actions of Pilate during the trial of Jesus. Prayer also seems to have been a very important part of the ritual, 
verse 8 notes that it is after the prayer that the bloodshed will be atoned for. Moses once again limits the forms of ritual and highlights the nature of prayer and by extension the source of prayer, which is the heart of the people. Write these laws on your hearts. Slavery, in any of its forms, is appalling to most of us. This is the, as is the notion of female war captives. Yet the issue of the captive woman is here in the Bible. We consider ourselves civilized. So that would beg the question, compared to who? I suspect when we compare ourselves to the standards of the living God, we will find our civilization wanting. The atomic weapons that were unleashed on Hiroshima and Nagasaki did not distinguish between the unborn, the infant, female, elderly, and non-combatant. We should resist the temptation of importing our present-day morality and superimposing it on the past. Regarding the female captive, the Bible insists on marriage. Usually, female victims in war were raped, killed, or sold into perpetual slavery. Moses allows the Gentile female a period of 30 days mourning, when usually seven days is given to an Israelite to mourn a loved one. During this time, clothing, hair, and nails are removed, perhaps in some symbol of purity or break with the past or both. Presumably, the Gentile woman also converts and leaves her pagan religion. She also becomes part of the people of God. And this is the fastest path to joining the Israelite nation and becoming a citizen of Israel. Should the, female, should the male Israelite not desire the woman, then she is not to be treated as a slave and is set free with all rights and privileges. And in the previous parts of Deuteronomy, that means sending her off with a sum of money. Even compared to our modern standards, there is some sense of human decency portrayed here. The people of God do not behave as the other nations. Okay. So now we're looking at uh, the inheritance of the firstborn. This is going to be starting at chapter, uh, chapter 21, verse 15, and then going on to the rebellious son. And uh, the, the body that is hanging on a tree is cursed. So hopefully lots of good conversation coming up as um, we see how this applies to us. So, um, Deuteronomy 21, verse 15. I'll read, and I'm reading from an ESV. If a man has two wives, but the one loved and the other unloved, and both the loved and the unloved have borne him children, and if the firstborn son belongs to the unloved, then on the day when he assigns his possessions as an inheritance to his sons, he may not treat the son of the loved as the firstborn in preference to the son of the unloved. Who is the firstborn? But he shall acknowledge the firstborn, the son of the unloved, by giving him a double portion of all that he has. For he is the first fruits of his strength. The right of the firstborn is his. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, he will not listen to them. Then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of his city at the gate of the place where he lives. And they shall say to the elders of his city, This, our son, is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. 
Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear and fear. If a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. For a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. Okay. Right. So on an initial surface reading, I know we read it last week, but initial surface reading, is there anything there that jumps out for you? Is there anything shocking? Actually, Aaron, one thing... If we went by this today, none of us as sons would be alive today. Exactly. <laughs> and, secondly, yes. and secondly, the very last four verse really speaks about Lord Jesus, doesn't it? Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. Yeah. Are you going to teach that, Aaron? Uh, no, I'll try. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's very controversial. Sure is. In the, in the original, some of the footnotes, I don't know, but I have a John MacArthur study Bible, and I was looking up uh, Mark 10 this past week just to get a little more background on this, because mm -hmm. Jesus clearly teaches in the New Testament that, you know, it was because of their sin, so to Yvonne's point the other the other week about second wives and stuff, could it be that, is it written in the in the past tense, in this beginning of the verse 15, that one is loved? So in other words, like one wife has died, you've had another wife, and maybe that wife is pushing for the second son to be the heir, who's actually like a, you know, from hers, but not the firstborn. I don't know. Is there a, is there a past tense in that? Originally? No, it, uh, it literally says he's got two women. Now, um, the, the word wife in Hebrew, there is no word wife in Hebrew, just like there's no word husband in Hebrew. They are in modern Hebrew, but not in Hebrew. What's the, what's the word for a woman? Anyone know? Isha. Isha. And what's the word for a wife? Isha. Yeah. There is no, it doesn't, it, it's Isha. And this one just says Nashim, which is the plural of Isha. He's got two of them. And uh, it's not and the, has had, it's not past tense, has had. No, it's uh, he's got to. And um, it, the, I know it's it strike what we do, we have to remember we cannot take present day morality and superimpose it on the past. Uh, it's and not, it's not present day morality, it's Jesus' teachings in Mark 10. Well, he what says is, because of your weakness that God allowed it, right? It so, divorce, he's allowing divorce, not multiple women. <laughs> Um, but he taught clearly in that passage. Just one second, you know. He taught clearly in that passage that if you have a second wife, you're committing adultery. You cannot have a second wife. No, he's divorced. They've divorced a woman and then gone and married another. Right, but the so. principle still applies. If they have a second wife, they're committing adultery with her, Jesus said. So adultery was okay in the Jewish tradition in Israel? No, 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 no. I know, I know what you think you're saying, uh, and you know what you think Jesus is saying, but it's a, he's discussing divorce, not discussing the nature of women or the, of how many wives you have. What, what the Bible doesn't say, go out and have lots of wives. Okay? In fact, it doesn't even give you a, a number. 
Yes, what Jesus is saying is don't get divorced. In 10, Mark 10, verse 6, But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one. It doesn't say threesome. It doesn't say foursome. It right, doesn't right, say right. Blah. So yeah. the two shall become one flesh. This is Genesis, mm. and this is also corroborated in Mark 10. Yeah. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Two becomes one. Yeah. End of story. There's no, there's yeah. n clearly Jesus is teaching you must have one wife. Therefore, we're <laughs> together, let not man separate. No? Is that a jump? Yeah. Aaron, I, I've never heard of this. Like, this is a whole new thing to me. This Anglican, you know. No, no, no. no high five on that, Sharon. High five on. Don't ever, don't ever say I'm advocating you'll have more than one wife. That is not what I'm saying. Don't, don't ever put that in my, in my. Okay, I'm, I don't want to say it wrong, but you're sort of saying that. <laughs> I'm, not. I'm not well jesus is saying don't like who cares what we say who cares if we existed or not what does this passage mean right like okay so in the in the in the hebrew I bible i have a question here we just, oh, yes oh, we oh, will oh, discover oh. hero after hero after hero have relationships that we don't have today but that it doesn't includes. mean it's acceptable to God. It means they did it in their weakness because Jesus okay. clearly said Moses I, permitted it. I know. It. We, we, we like to think that. So you However, can't make a have, rule out of it when you go back and read it. You can't yeah. say, oh, look, great. We can have six wives. We have, we, have, we have no prophet that prophesies against this. Well, I guess it clearly wasn't an issue. But right. like, we were it's channeling an issue for us. You're right. It's a, it's a, it's a fantastic issue but for it's us. it's an Absolutely. issue for Jesus, right. right? It's an issue for Jesus, too, because he said clearly, stop it. Like, you guys but, are weak. You're a bunch the, of sinners. The context, the context that Jesus is being challenged on is divorce. Okay. And, uh, and, you know, and they're trying to trick him. And he teaches us something, that in the future, in the new world, the world to come, the relationships that we have right now will be different. Yeah, there's no marriage in heaven. Who cares? Correct. Well, that's yeah. right. There is. It's a different relationship. It's a better relationship. We don't know what it is because we've not been there to, to, to see it. Marriage is something no marriage. that's been... Jesus clearly said there's no marriage and no, no husbands and Correct. wives. Correct. 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 Uh, and God We're seems to have... We're not sexual beings. We're spiritual beings. Sorry to interrupt, Aaron. This is an <laughs> issue. Here. I know. I, I, I've been trauma land for three weeks straight you know it's just like what is going on here yeah. <laughs> like, no guys we have look it's it's in the bible and it it gets wrestled with all over the world all through history and we have all kinds of scholars debating it left right and center um there is a couple of things we can we can discuss to do with the issue of loved and unloved um but the hebrew doesn't imply one wife is dead. The man has two wives and he has one that is loved and one is unloved. Doesn't give you the reason why he's unloved. Is there yeah. any example in the Bible where a man happens to have a wife that he does have unloved? Okay. Rachel and Leah. Yes. So we have a hero in the Bible, Jacob, who wrestles with God. And God never seems to say, hey, while we're wrestling, I've got a, got a real question for you here, buddy. Um, you seem to have picked up more than one wife. Um, he happens to have one that is unloved and he happens to have one that is loved. And uh, 
And those, those emotions, they come from him. Because out of Rachel and Leah, which one actually produces the Messiah? Leah. Leah. Right? Rachel's the one that ends up with a tomb near Bethlehem, and she's the one that has a special feast day in the calendar, and she's the one that, uh, that Jewish people all go to and pray about and, and all that kind of stuff. But she doesn't give birth to the messianic character. She gives birth to Benjamin, who causes all kinds of problems, uh, which is very interesting. Um, whereas Leah, you know, the unloved one, gives birth to the messianic, uh, messianic line. And the messianic line isn't the firstborn, which is also another, another uh, issue, especially with this, with this thing. So the, the Hebrew just doesn't do the word wife like we do the word wife. It just has woman. Same with husband. Okay? The word husband in Hebrew is what? Anyone know? Somebody knows, I'm sure. Baal. Baal. Ish. That's right. No, Ish is oh, man. Oh, that's right. Baal Shani. That's my yeah. husband. Baal, yeah. And, um, of course, as soon as we hear the word Baal, people start having, again, apoplectic fits because uh, of a god called Baal. But that's not what the Hebrew word Baal means. In fact, the Israelites called God Baal because Baal also means Lord. Master. 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 Owner. Owner, thank you Just very like much. Husband, well done, Nama. Like Nama is correct because the verb yeah. Baal, uh, the word Baal comes from the verb live all, which is to own. Okay. And uh, so if you're biblical Hebrew, then the, the, when you, someone says, This is my Baal, you're saying, This is my owner. Right. Uh, we don't talk about husbands and wives in that way, although there are some cultures on this planet that still do. Um, but that's not the way we use those words now. However, put the Bible back into its context. Try not to make any value judgments. It's really hard. Um, but, but so there's this man, Ish, and he's got Nashim. He's got two Isha, he's got two Ishot, uh, two females. Um, one is loved and the other unloved. And we have, obviously, um, any anytime you've got multiple uh, women inside the, the house, this cannot possibly be, be positive. I mean, we're, we're you know, this, this is going to cause problems. I don't know of any polygamy arrangements where, where it works out. And you can see in the Bible, um, all the, the wives of our biblical heroes, they don't get on either, right? So there's issues. Um, but he's got two, one loved and, and one unloved. We have absolutely no idea why that would be. So in biblical society, in Hebrew, in, in ancient uh, Middle Eastern society, what would be some of the reasons why he would have married an unloved woman? Property. Okay, it could be property. For children. Could be, could be he just needs uh, children. Okay. How many children does he inherit? And also inherited from the brother if the brother dies. Well done, Shimshon. That's right. There's a rule. The leverite, yeah. Correct. That if his brother dies and his brother has not yet created children, right, for, for the, the, the wife, then 
what does the brother have to do? Right? He's got to go. And, and, and there's, there's actually a story. Go well. Yes, there's a, he's got to go and redeem the, the bride. He's got to uh, give her children and care for them and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and you have actually a story in the Bible where people didn't do that and they just kept dying. Okay? Do you know whose kids those were? Judas. No, uh, uh, Lamech. Uh, oh, Ruth, yeah. Ruth's parents, uh, yeah. Yeah, Ruth's her brother, her mother-in-law and father-in-law. No, no, yeah, well, yeah. no, no, that's one. No, but Shimshon, you know the story, don't you? Yes, yeah. Um, Judah and Oh, Tamar. no, Judah. Judah and Tamar. Judah, yes. Yeah. Judah and Onan, Tamar. Onan and the, okay. yeah. And yeah. then Selah, yeah, the third one. That's right, because they, they, they fail to do their, their duty. You know, they don't like their loved one. And God's like, I don't care what you like or don't like. You've got a responsibility and a job. And uh, you'll care for these people. Um, and he got he get a little uh, upset with them and ended up, ended up killing them. Okay. So we don't know exactly what creates this situation where a man in, in the biblical days has uh, multiple ladies. How many, um, how many children does Abraham have? Uh, twelve. Seven. He has twelve. Uh, okay. He has two, and then after Sarah dies, he marries a girl called Keturah and uh, proceeds to have another ten. And then when he's dividing up his property, okay, and setting up his inheritances, it, we discover he's also got concubines. And um, we don't know why. It just happens to appear. We don't hear about them in <laughs> any other part of the Bible except for there. Okay. Um, and, and yet God himself, when talking to Isaac, says, Abraham has kept all of my laws, commandments, statutes, and, uh, and judgments. Um, and so what we, what we really, really can't do is take our present-day morality and, and put it in on the past. What we need to do is try and just let the Bible speak to us and see what it is we can learn. So we've got this guy. He's got uh, ladies, Nashim, and one loved and one loved. And the firstborn belongs to this un unloved one. And uh, when he's, when he's um, coming up to just assign his possessions as an inheritance, he has not allowed to treat the son of the loved better than, than the unloved. He's got to treat the firstborn with uh, some preference. And the can firstborn... I, can I ask a question based on that, yes. the firstborn? Ishmael and yes. Isaac. Because Ish although Haggai really wasn't his wife per se, she actually, uh, Ishmael really... Sarah said he would be the son that I will dandle on my knee, in a sense, because she didn't think yeah. she'd have her own child. So he was the firstborn. Okay, yes, you're right. What is the firstborn of? Is it the firstborn of the man or is it the firstborn of the woman? Firstborn of the man. Firstborn of the man. man. Correct. Yeah. And uh, so the actual, so the, because in, the, in, in these days, these men seem to have, um, a plethora of them. Um, if the if the firstborn of the man, but the woman may have had other children, 
But if his firstborn, that is the one that has to get the, uh, the inheritance. And, um, and so normally it describes the firstborn in the names of, uh, in the direction of the, of the parent, except when you get to Luke. In the Gospel of Luke, and Mary has her son, what is the description of the son? And Mary had her. The son of Joseph. No, Mary mm. had her firstborn. Born. Yeah. It doesn't say Joseph's firstborn. Yeah. And uh, so Luke, Luke is very clear. He knows all these traditions, and he says, um, that, that Jesus is Mary's firstborn and, uh, and actually gives the, the woman the, um, that honor. Whereas in Hebrew Bible, it's always man. Okay? The, the father uh, gets the firstborn. Why? Because fathers don't become fathers until they have the firstborn. The firstborn actually creates the father. Until then, he is not a father, right? And so um, there's a symbiotic relationship that goes in two ways, um, where the father influences the son and the sons influence their fathers. So uh, with, a, with, a, with a, a loved and an unloved woman, there's obviously going to be problems at home. And uh, he has to make sure the rule says he's got to acknowledge the firstborn, which is the son of the unloved, and by giving him a double portion uh, for all that he has. For he is the first fruits of his strength, right? The right of the firstborn is his. Um, the Aaron, I have a question. I sure. don't want to open a whole Pandora's box, but... Do it. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it's just uh, we had Comment an issue. by Roddy. Yeah. No, it's just uh, we um, are. Remember, I we we participated in a church for sixteen years. Yes. And then the Lord just you know opened our vision to you know whatever Hebrew roots and understanding the whole you know the the Bible is a, is a whole narrative and and it being very much grace oriented and the Old Testament's kind of you know uh, in a sense we've just noticed it was getting worse and worse and we couldn't stay there anymore and we switched and after we switched like two months just during my while my husband was having um the whole covid thing and he was in the hospital and he wasn't doing very well um we found out that that pastor which had taught us a lot for many many years um we had grown a lot in the word had committed adultery and it was something that had happened 10 years ago he, he was uh so we were we've been at the church for 16 years and um, it was with a member from the church and uh, nobody knew about it, but because of a cell phone that was discovered, this whole thing uh, came about. And so we're out of the church, so we have nothing to do with that. But um, my question is, the church voted. He, he said, I'm, you know, I, I'll, I'll, if you guys want me out, I'm out. Um, and it was very shocking because it was somebody that we would never, never had uh, imagined that would happen. Of course, we all are made of flesh and our flesh is terrible. Um, and so now the church has voted him, uh, voted that they, they, they forgive him, they forgave him and uh, he's, that they still have him, he will still be the pastor of the church. So, so this being said, the question is, what constitutes a wife? Is it from, you know, we know physically the first 
time that there is a relationship, there's a breaking of the hymen and there's a blood and you know, the whole um, there that, that becomes a, there's no, you don't have to go and get a certificate that becomes your wife. And so he's married and then he had an adulterous relationship as a Christian, as a pastor. Um, what are your thoughts about that? So um, what constitutes, again, to me, that's two. The Samaritan woman, that's five. You don't need a legal document. It's just a physical act. Say, so well, The answer is actually incredibly simple. You, um, and I'm going to start with a little story and hopefully uh, we'll end. We were, we were, Christchurch was contacted by a guy in America who um, is having also this debate with another person. Uh, how many wives are we allowed to have? All that kind of stuff. And they asked me, what does the Bible say? So I said, listen, you know, the Hebrew Bible is actually very unclear. Um, and, but that's not your issue. The law says you can only have one. I don't care where you live, right? If you happen to live in a Western society, the law, which we have inherited from the Greek world, just like democracy, we like that too, okay, um, says you can only have one. You only have one. It's got nothing to do with I appeal to the Bible, you know, I wish to stone my rebellious son. Or that you, there are things you can't do. And, uh, and that's, this is one of them. You, um, uh, the guy has one wife. If, he's, if, he, if he tries to have anybody else, that is adultery. And um, that's it. That's, um, you know, if you happen to go and live in Saudi Arabia and you're a Muslim, okay, well, that's a very different thing. And then we actually want to tell you about Jesus, not about uh, discussing about how many wives you've got. Um, the, the, the people, people keep trying to go back to the Bible and they go, but don't, don't, don't make your theology, uh, don't make the Bible fit your theology. Right, right. The so technically he wouldn't, have, he wouldn't have the authority to be a pastor. I mean, we looked at the book of, My, uh, of the, Malachi. The, the, the Paul, Paul writes to Timothy and Titus. Right, and, and Titus, in those, exactly. In those books, he says that the leader of your community must only have one wife, mm -hmm. okay? which is a superfluous statement if people, have got, if people are only allowed to have one. So that is, a, is an interesting statement in and of itself. But he is very clear. Bishops, priests, and deacons, elders, the Zakanim of the community can only have, only have one bride, um, and uh, so this this guy should well anyway mm -hmm. yeah I think he probably right. should Got step it. down uh -huh. for the health of, for the health of the church and mm -hmm. the honor of, honor of yeah God. that's what we were and then yeah. another thing and, and then part B part B <laughs> yeah. part B and my husband and I were talking about this if um, then then for example if you take that and you apply that to today's day and age where yeah. a lot of people um, have relations, sexual relationships before they are Christian. I mean, they, you know, they have that. So then there's the before and after. So, I mean, I I'm not trying to be legalist. I mean, I'm just trying to understand. So, you know, before and after Christ. Um, well, the, the, the spirit of the Lord is the same, okay, before and after. New creation. I mean, about a new creation. Uh, I believe you forgiven, yeah. Yeah, that's right. And, You're forgiven. Okay, and uh, and you're forgiven a multitude of sins, even after the Messiah. Okay, um, and so we know some very nice people who have worked in the mission field, who have gotten divorced and remarried. 
Now, I know what legalism says. They're committing adultery. I know what legalism says. That's Mark 10 for you all over. But they love Jesus. They've got a great bunch of kids. Their kids are going to seminary, and they've worked on the mission field. So God called them because God's love is bigger. There's only one unforgivable sin, and divorce isn't it. Right. All right? And, and there's only one, only one unforgivable sin, and suicide isn't it. Right? There's a, there's a, it's a, we've got to, we've got to have the grace of the, of our Lord in, in a lot of these things. However, we have we're trying to set up that mimics the character of God. So if we can, we should look at what Moses is teaching the mm -hmm. people to mimic the character of God. We should apply that to ourselves. And uh, and so, Aaron, if I might ask a question, based on what Sharon said and what Lord Jesus has said, if somebody then divorces, not based on fornication, right? Based on, for example, incompatibility, yeah. And all of us, we attend a wedding for the new marriage, for example. Yep. Are they not? committing adultery both of them and most likely so, most likely could be but is that and forgivable those, and those attending are actually are condoning it right yes most likely but is it forgivable yes. but yeah, it, it is forgivable but how do we get around that because i don't know it's a very good question i think you still preach the highest principle that jesus yeah. laid out for one man yeah. one woman that's not going beyond scripture Aaron. i think that's obeying mark 10 which is in principle uh, you know, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, Correct. one man shall leave his wife, his father and mother, and be joined to his one wife. The two shall become one. End of story. That's the principle. That's God's best from creation and the definition mm -hmm. of marriage as we understand it. And, right. and, and, uh, Aaron, one, one more question. And Sorry. Just, okay. The idea yes. of annulling a marriage, is that, a, is that even feasible? Well, it is in the Catholic world. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, I, I really like um, Sharon's um, concept. You know, it's it's real if I, by biblical standard. But, um, you know, when Yeshua said that um, except for um, adultery, um, you, you should um, not dissolve a marriage, that means what he's trying to say is that um, there is consequences for actions. Um, if, because I've seen a lot of people try to teach that once you're married, you're married and there is no divorce. And what we're saying is that there will be no consequence for actions. In other words, if a woman goes and commits adultery, then the husband is banned to her and she, the husband cannot do anything. And that will be a very terrible situation if we bring that in the church. And yeah. if we read in the, in the Torah, it's, it, it doesn't use the same concept for a man it says if a, if a man is, is divorced from his wife, the, the first, um, and he goes and he goes and marry another man, if the woman marries another man, he cannot come back to the first man because it will bring guilt on the land. It will pollute the land. And so it's, it's, a, it's a very um, interesting thing with the woman yeah. because the woman is so special that whatever happens to her can affect the land. And another thing we should put in mind when we are looking at the story in Matthew, when Jesus was discussing with the Pharisees, it was um, two schools of thought that was in play there, the school of Shammai and the school of Hillel. Um, Shammai believes that you can divorce your wife for any reason. 
and Elel does not agree with that. Elel <coughs> agrees with what um, Yeshua, Yeshua said. said. And yeah. so when they were bringing it before Yeshua, they were trying to see which of the school which of thought was, you know, yeah. yeah, which school is in. And so that's what they were trying to, and of course you could see that the uh, Hillel team will be healing when they hear Yeshua. Yeah, we said it, we're right, and all these things. So it's um, it's very interesting, and uh, but if somebody is um, divorced and is remarried, doesn't really mean that the person is committing adultery, because the Bible says no adulterer can go to heaven, and yeah. if exactly. yeah, no adulterer will make it to heaven. And if somebody that is um, divorced by the rights of um, you know adultery, then you cannot accuse that person of committing adultery anymore. And some other things that can also play. Um, we have um, some situation where the abuse in the family is so much that the woman is being so abused that, I mean, I'm talking about somebody physically abusing the wife and this woman is going to die. And in the name of marriage, you want to save the marriage. You just want to kill the woman by keeping her in the house. So uh, that's for me is also another grounds for um, for a divorce because there is no, I mean, you're not going to get anything good from a dead woman yeah. if you're going to leave her in the house. So it's yeah, a, it's a bit it's a bit complicated, but uh, we we have to follow how the Bible puts it. Samson, how can, can you say the woman is yeah. the woman is connected to the land or something? You mentioned a comment about that. Could you expand on that? Okay, yeah. Um, in Deuteronomy, uh, it says when the when the woman leaves the leaves the first husband. And she goes and marry another husband. Um, she cannot return to the first husband. They cannot come back together. Um, and also, if the first husband, uh, if, when she divorced from the um, from her first husband, and the second husband dies, she cannot return back to the first husband. But she can go and marry somebody else because um, it's keeping the sanctity of marriage. Imagine in a small community, um, people are just hopping over each other, and at the end of the day, you're not going to get. A, 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 the sanctity of marriage is not going to be preserved. You know, everybody has seen every other person and, you know, it's going to create a very terrible situation. What the Lord says, I think it was um, Jeremiah also used that principle when he was teaching. He, he said that um, the land will be defiled. He said, wouldn't the land be defiled? And that was, and that's how he, he, he puts it. And so um, it makes, it kind of give a legal ground for a, a divorce if you look at it in a way. Because right. once a woman is divorced, she cannot, and she's remarried, she cannot come back to the first husband. So when you look at it, uh, according to what Aaron has said, yeah, there are so many nuances, but we should look at the spirit behind the law, not just the text. Because if right. we follow the text, we might miss it. But if we follow the spirit behind the law, then yeah. we will live in, in righteousness. Right. So I'm going to break the conversation here. <laughs> yeah. And the reason is because... We're talking now a lot about divorce, which is actually a very good topic to talk about. Um, however, in the text, they're not divorced and they're not going to be divorced. So but it's not about that. Also a, an in, impetus in Mark 10. It's also the whole concept. It goes beyond yeah. divorce. and Jesus Correct. And it, yeah, I know, I know, I know. But this text here, they're not getting divorced. What the issue is, is the issue of the firstborn. The issue is not that he's got multiple wives. The issue is not that he's divorcing one or the other. The issue is he's got a duty to the firstborn, which... Okay, and, to, and to that point, 
I have a question. Go for it. <laughs> Abraham, take your son, your only son. Yeah, the son you, you love. <laughs> yeah. So there yeah, you go. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Me, I'm waiting for the teachings. Yeah, I know. The, right, I know. What's the question? Okay, so the question is, um, we, we understand, like here's Moses standing up in front of the people and he's, and he's giving a, a, a rule. Now, this actually may be because an event happened in, in the community, in the wanderings, and he's actually going to sort it out. But as the people enter the land, um, and start setting up their society. He wants a, a just society that reflects the character of God. And he says, okay, you will, you will not ignore the firstborn. However, these people who are standing now on the plains of Moab have stories, and every one of their heroes, apart from Isaac, okay, Isaac's the only guy who has one wife and doesn't change his name and never leaves the land. So he's doing really well. But, but Abraham's wife died first, right? And then he married the second one. Wait. He Sorry. had he had a uh, concubine, Hagar, oh. which he creates Ishmael. So Ishmael is actually his firstborn, right? Doesn't matter how you play the game. Ishmael is his firstborn. Yeah. And... And, and, and Roddy's alluding to the, the, the beginning of the Akidah, where the text is clear and God says, take your son, your only son, Hayachid. And you go, what? And, uh, and so... Uh, you know, Aaron, may I, may I uh, su support you in this? Is it by, by saying that Ishmael is the firstborn son and then uh, Isaac is the second son, right? Is it Correct. not because... It, we, we see the picture of Lord Jesus here. Is it not saying there was the first Adam and there's the second Adam? Ooh, that's an interesting bit. I hadn't thought of that one before. Uh, none, like, yep. None, that's not bad, David. None of God's heroes in the Hebrew Bible are firstborn. Okay. Well, uh, I, I, I looked it up. I looked up and said, List, list all the firstborn sons that are in, in the Bible. And I went down them and you get a few judges and you get this, that, and the other. But Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, okay, uh, blah, 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 blah. They're all, they're all um, not the firstborns. Yet firstborns are important. Why are firstborns important? Because God said so. And you can read it in Exodus 13, where Exodus 13, verse 12, well, we might as well start at 11. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, he shall give you. So when you're setting up your, your just society, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that, that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. If you, and if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And when in time to come your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say, by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. Okay? For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. 
both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. And therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that open up, that first open the womb. Uh, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. And, uh, and so the, the rule of the firstborn is very important uh, to the Lord. He creates this rule and it reflects part of the redemptive story that we find in, in the Passover narrative. Um, and here we've got a case where uh, the firstborn should have been given a double portion. It doesn't say why they should be. Right? There's no... Um, I looked uh, for the, um, the, the, the midrashim on this, this command. This is actually, um, uh, what is it? Uh, commandment 65 or something like that. Um, the, the, the rule. And I, the, all they said was um, this, 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 the context is the verse itself. That's a Jewish way of saying, we have no idea. We just read the verse. We don't understand why. Like there doesn't, there's no reason implicit in the text as to why the first guy gets a double portion. Especially when all the heroes of God are not the firstborns in the first place. So the firstborns are beloved of God. Okay? They are, they're, they're special. And you shall set them apart. Um, but that doesn't mean God actually calls them, which is also an interesting thought. So the firstborn will get a double portion, but that doesn't mean God's going to use the firstborn as part of his plan. Okay. Aaron, can I just contribute a thought here? Yep. My understanding was that the firstborn had the responsibility to look after the other parts of the family. So they carried the responsibility that they inherit from their father. Therefore, they have a, a double portion in order to en enable them to do that. It could be. There's, there's, there's no, actually no, no textual uh, command that says that, but that probably is the uh, societal behavioral way that the firstborns, that it became about. That, uh, you know, my, my firstborn son, he's going to inherit the farm and he will provide for the, for the family. Uh, he might even be the Goel uh, kinsman redeemer. If one of our family members is, is killed, maybe not. We might give it to the sixth born if he happens to be a ninja weapons master or something like that. Um, but also, Aaron, wouldn't, wouldn't the firstborn then take over that responsibility to look after all the daughters that weren't married? Yeah, could be. Yep, yep. They, they had, if, if, if he's going to take over the role of the house, he's got, a, he's got a big job. And that includes, you know, marrying off the, the daughters to good husbands and, and, and such like. Um, would, would you think there's just a practical side to this? And be. that is in most societies, uh, when, when farms are inherited or when, uh, you know, e even amongst Bedouin, I would think, uh, there'd just be a complete breakup of society if everything was divided equally and the land normally goes to the oldest or... Yep. The one who wants to have it in more recent days. Otherwise, so what they do is they uh, divide, they economic divide. instability. You, you divide up your inheritance by the number of kids plus one. Right? So if I've got four kids, my inheritance is divided far into five portions with the firstborn getting two portions. Okay? We don't know the, the reasons why, but 
What's interesting here is Moses it wants to make sure that the wife, the unloved wife, she still gets all her rights. You can't supersede the law just because you prefer one or the other, which is a good lesson, I think, for all of us. And, um, and, uh, and eventually in Numbers, God says about the Levites, they work for me now. Normally, the firstborn belong to the Lord, and everybody's got to dedicate them to the Lord. You got, if you don't, if you don't uh, give them to the Lord, you have to buy them back. But in Numbers, uh, God says, the Levites are mine. Okay, everybody else can keep the firstborn, but the Levites are mine. That's uh, Numbers 3.12. Um, what happens if you haven't got any sons? What's the rule, guys? Anyone remember? Daughters inherit. The yes. daughters of, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the five daughters of Zelophehad, which we read about in Numbers 30, is that this just society does not forget women. This was a big shift in the Middle East, okay? Women could inherit. Oh, my gosh. Now, um, and so you end up with this, this discussion in Numbers. Numbers 30 is the daughters of Zelophehad. Um What's interesting about that is it, it does reflect uh, Moses' and Aaron's character. Uh, Zelophehad goes to Moses and Aaron and says, I don't have any sons. Do my daughters inherit? And Moses and Aaron respond in their usual way. We don't know. We'll go ask God. They go into the tent of meeting and God gives them a dis- description. Uh, I really like in, the, in, the, uh, in, in Numbers that whenever Moses get, and Aaron get asked a question, they usually respond with, we have no idea. We'll go ask God. And uh, which is nice. It's, a, it's a also a good humbling way to say, I really don't. It's a good question. I just don't know. And um, but God gives uh, women rights. And here again, he makes sure that even an unloved woman who know, we have no clue how she got to be in her stand, in her position, that she will not be forgotten. And the firstborn. However, just because you are the firstborn, and you get large chunks of money upon inheritance, that does not mean that, uh, uh, A, all things go swimmingly, or B, uh, that God's actually going to use you. Because when you get into the narrative about our biblical heroes, we discover that they are not the firstborn, and what do the firstborn have a tendency to do with the rest of their brothers? Anyone know? Bully him around, Caddy. Bully him around, okay. Okay, who, who is the firstborn of Adam? Cain. A very Cain. nice man. Cain. Yes, Cain. What does Cain do? What, what does the firstborn do to the secondborn? Kills him. Yes. So when Jacob, who is not the firstborn, steals his birthright from the firstborn, what does Esau say he's going to do? Stealing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. The, 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 the firstborn seemed to have a real issue um, uh, in, 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 in biblical stories. Yet God uses the non-firstborn. He takes special care of the firstborn, and this is a reflection of his sovereign redemption from Exodus, where he slew the firstborn. But just because oh, you are absolutely. not the firstborn doesn't mean you are not important or valuable to God because you are. And in fact, he chooses usually 
not the first born. Out why? Of the any of- any recollection? I mean, anything we can gather from why that is so? I object to Jacob stealing. I don't agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I, sec- I second that, so... Okay. All right. Could, could the answer to your question be that God wants people to be in leadership who love him fully with a complete heart and not necessarily by legal right of being the firstborn? You know, that could be it. Be, um, Moses, is in, in, in the way he writes the Torah, he's always trying to make sure it's a heart issue, um, uh, not by ignoring ritual, but by by making sure that the heart actually has a superior place. Just like in uh, the uh, atonement for murder, it's, it's written deliberately in Hebrew, but only after the prayer, then you get atonement. Not the washing of the hands, not the breaking of the heifer's neck, but it's the, it's the prayer. Um, not sure. Um, I, I did like your comment, David, on um, Isaac. It be, being an only son, which was which was actually quite a good a good, good comment there. I have to remember that one. Um, so, Aaron, the, these discussions about the firstborn are interesting. Just to remember that Moses wasn't the firstborn; Aaron was. Yes, correct. Yes, Moses is the firstborn. Uh, sorry, Aaron is the firstborn, and he gets to become high priest. That's great, but he also blows it with um, uh, uh, the golden calf and his first kids. Uh, end up getting burnt up in fire. So they don't do very well. Um, the firstborn of Jacob, anyone know his name? Reuben? Reuben. Reuben. With yeah. his mother, yeah, the, the concubine. Correct. And the next one is Shimon, and the next one, Levi, and the next one, Judah. Judah. So, yes. Judah is actually number four. And, um, uh, and yet, he is the one that actually ends up having Messiah. Um, the text doesn't say why, other that comments on the text do. Uh, Jewish exegetes say Reuven lost his his birthright or his status as, as firstborn, not that he physically does not become the firstborn, um, when he did not save Joseph. He was supposed to protect the family, as Neville says, and he doesn't, and so... You're done. And then Shimon and Levi murder an entire town because um, they're annoyed uh, over the treatment of their sister. Dina. And, yep, Jacob is incredibly angry with them and ends up mm-hmm. saying some nasty things. And so uh, Shimon ends up with very reduced territory in the, in the middle of nowhere and, uh, and, and Levi gets no territory at all. Um, and, you end, and then so the next one after them is Judah, and um, while his kids um, have some issues, uh, he ends up um, uh, being able to, to keep, hold on to the Messiah. Okay. But it's interesting, interesting, Aaron, the names of the sons. I know the first names weren't very, very positive, and then Judah's praise. So, you know, the names. Well, these are nice names. Name, my heart. That's a nice one. Oh, that's true. Shimon, that's oil. Simeon. And uh, yeah, Lovain, um, Shepherd. There's a good, they're good names. Mm, they yeah, are. They're all, they're all good names. I mean, my favourite's actually Issachar. There is a reward, but you know, you don't hear much about him. Um, okay, 
So now that we've uh, figured out that uh, the firstborn have a place, but God still often chooses uh, other, other children, um, and the firstborn uh, tend to belong to the man. However, when you get to Jesus, the text deliberately says this is Mary's firstborn, which is not what you find in, in, in the Bible. Okay. Right, but just uh, accurate, right? Because it wasn't Joseph's son, right? So it's well, a, a wasn't Joseph's son and not his firstborn. So it's just a physical reality, really. Physical reality. Mm-hmm. So we have a rebellious son in verse uh, 18. This is interesting. So a man has a stubborn and a rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or mother. And even though they discipline him, he's not going to listen. So then his father and mother, they'll take hold of him, bring him till the elders of the city gate uh, where he lives. And they shall say to this, to this elders of the city, this is our son is stubborn and he is rebellious. He will not obey our voice. Glutton and a drunkard. Wow. And then when the men of the city shall stone him to death. Oof. And you shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear and fear. All right. What do we learn from this rule? <laughs> good to have an incentive. <laughs> what was that? It's good to have an incentive. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Thou shalt honor your mother and father. Why? Because you'll get stoned to death if you don't. <laughs> Aaron, how, how do you fit the prodigal son into this one? Yay, that's a good question. Yeah. All right. Um, how do I fit it in or how do <laughs> Jewish commentaries fit it in? Which you are like? around, you should know. Yeah, there you go. Okay. So we have to look at the intention of the rule. Okay. All right. Um, most Jewish commentators will dance all across their, their pages trying to tell you that this actually never happened in, in real life, right? Now, I don't know about that. However, what they, they, they do do is they do look at the intention. So let's have a look at the intention, and then we'll go and carry the ruach of the law, the spirit of the law, into the prodigal son. All right, so we have a rebellious son. How old is this son? Over drinking age. Yeah, that's right. He ain't not young. <laughs> All right. He's, he's, a, he's, he's not young. He's able to drink, so he should be able to work. He should be able to provide. It does not say whether he's the firstborn, secondborn or anything. He just happens to be child of the parents. Obviously, he's still living at home. All right. And um, uh, what is actually the commandment, obviously, it's to honour your mother and father. And what's the uh, blessing that comes with this rule? Long life. Yeah. Okay. Here, uh, that life ends a little abruptly. Okay. And um, uh, it's the only, only command in the, in, in, the, in the Ten Commandments that actually gives you a, a blessing for, 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 for fulfilling it. Um, so we don't, yeah, we don't know why the son is rebellious. Could you, would, has anybody got any idea why such a son would do, why, why he would be rebellious? Like the text just does not say. So you would have to make it up. The text gives you, gives you a little, a few hints. He won't listen to his parents. 
He's obviously throwing his money away, uh, drinking himself insensibly, and um, has become a glutton. So he consumes probably way more than he needs. So we could assume he is also um, uh, not very generous. Uh, we could also assume uh, from the Proverbs that um, uh, wine is a mocker and beer is a brawler. This guy probably also gets into bar fights. You know, he's probably a bit of a terror around town. Um, he's probably, who, who knows who this guy is? He could be a gang leader for all we know. But um, it very, Sharon, very self-indulgent. And what's the danger to the community? Hurting others. Yeah, he could influence others. And so what is the what what did the what did the community do? Don't they purge the evil from within the community. Now, what is the positive side of that? Negative command. Yeah. Deterrent. Yeah. Fear. 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 Yeah. Okay. And uh, yeah, it stops bad behavior replicating. Our societies don't do this. We never purge anything wrong from anything. And where does that leave us? Look around. Yeah. Tomorrow I'm doing Yes. So, so while we do not have a rule in our society that says we can do this, the Jewish people, commentators, will say they never did this. Let's look at the spiritual implications of purging evil from our communities. Okay? Because if we do not do this, if we do not, if there is something wrong in our community and we do not highlight it, we do not try and correct it, we do not try and change it, then it will eat the community. What would be the best result of a rebellious son? This is a negative result. We take him out and stone him. What's the best result? Teshuvah. Which means what? Turning around, turning back to God, repentance. Right. Re going, going back to your original spot, okay, um, which would have been what? Instead of a rebellious son, what would it be? Obedient son. And, and, and back in the family. And so back to the prodigal son. What do you see there? Truth. Yeah, you see the, you see the rule the way it's meant to be put into practice. I don't want a rebellious son. I want a good son. My rebellious son doesn't listen to me. Prodigal son does. Somehow the prodigal son came to his senses, as you know, and, uh, and we would like this rebellious son to come to his senses. But, but in this case, he doesn't. So there's, there is a spiritual discipline for identifying evil within the community, something that's wrong, that, that cannot be allowed to fester, that can't be allowed to grow, um, and in the church, what would that be? What would be an example of this, of something wrong inside the church that, that really shouldn't be there to be allowed to fester and brew and, uh, and take over? Division. 
you can def um, suspend somebody or defrock the person. Okay, that would be the result, yeah, of, of something. Selfish um, ambition. Sorry, sir? Selfish ambition. Okay, yep, selfish ambition. Yeah, we, sh we shouldn't have that. Yeah. Bad doctrine. Too often, we allow bad doctrine to sit in our churches unchallenged, no one, even our corrective instruments fail. Uh, those of us who have been doing a diaconal course know that nothing in the Anglican world's of our discipline measures ever seemed to work. And so in the, in the Anglican church, we went out of control. Um, and, and, uh, and, and we've allowed bad, bad doctrine to, to run rampant. We shouldn't have done that. We should have purged the bad doctrine, and, uh, which would mean, as um, I think Shimshon was saying, yeah, some defrocking, some expulsions from the community. Even even Paul, in uh, some of his letters, actually expelled people from the community. Um, he didn't stone them. He didn't kill them. You can't can't be here. This is actually dangerous for the body for you guys to actually remain um, uh, around. So I think this the spiritual I I intention here is you know uh, identify the evil, look for teshuvah. Look for a way to restore the son to the family. Look for some way to fix the, the, the bad doctrine, the problem, the issue that's in our community. But if we can't, then it can't stay there either. Right? Um, people are going to look at the church. People are going to look at our churches. People are going to look at our communities and they're going to see uh, how we behave and, and what's inside us. And don't worry, they'll see. Right, you, very, they, they, they will find out and they will broadcast it on social media and it will be there for all the world to see. So, yeah, apostasy, we may as well, you know, just say if, you, if you've lost your faith, time to pull the collar off and, and, and quit. Um, hey, Aaron, I have a, a quick comment. Um, you know, when, when during, um, during uh, Abraham, you know, as, as, as uh, things were just getting worse and, and the Lord said he was going to basically go down to, Lot, to Sodom and Gomorrah and pretty much wipe everyone out, he interceded. Um, and, um, and there was, oh gosh, who else was interceding? I forgot the other, other example. But then uh, when God said to Noah, you know, I'm going to wipe everyone out, it's, it's just gotten to the point of no return. Uh, all flesh has been corrupt. That Noah didn't intercede like he, you know, he's a, he was a just man in his generation. There's those rabbinical comments as Noah could have done more. He didn't intercede for his people like Abraham. And I forgot the other yeah. example. So Jewish Jewish exegetes yeah, well, on on mm -hmm. Noah say he is the worst evangelist ever. <laughs> I mean, um, he's building a boat. It takes him hundreds of years. He's got lots of time to try and convince people that things are doing wrong and you want to come with me on our boat for salvation. No one comes. So they say, boy, we, this guy's the worst missionary ever. I mean, this is really bad. Even um, excluding Job? <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's another, another, that's a very interesting book, though. Yeah, but because um, Abraham is always interceding. And I, gosh, what was the other example that they use? It's like two. Moses, Moses intercedes. Oh, yeah, Moses. It's Moses and Abraham. And then Noah, he got like a negative scorecard on his report got, card. Yeah. Right, 
Right. Yet he is the only person in the Bible that is called righteous. The caveat is they, they twist it to say in his generation, meaning yeah. if he was in our generation, the guy would be, he would just be normal. Right? <laughs> and you go, oh, for crying out loud. Okay. But that, that is one way of reading it. And that's fair enough. Okay. But well, um, I think it's really, it's not right because they're making an argument out of silence. Yeah. That is really an unsafe thing to do. Yeah. Well, it's, that's, most of Midrash is, is based on silence. <laughs> so we could definitely pray for those that are rebellious. That's, I guess, my point yeah. is we intercession, intercession is, we is the key. Yeah. The, the, this, there, there is this rule, and this rule is, you know, for a godly society to make sure that evil is challenged. It does not go unchallenged. And, uh, and, and it's not allowed to fester. It's not allowed to brew. It's not allowed to expand. It's not allowed to leaven, uh, to, to, to rot the one rotten apple to, to ruin the bunch. Um, does so it mean, do, yeah, does so it mean we run around and, and, just, and kill people? No. Um, mm -hmm. uh, that's not uh, allowed in any of our societies, although some societies in the Middle East do that. Um, the... Uh, the rabbis will say that this never happened. I don't agree with them. However, it obviously I don't think it was very widespread as we don't have a lot of examples in the Bible that actually dictate, say that this actually happened or occurred. But the spiritual implication is evil does not go unchallenged. You will identify it. It will be made public. It will be made public at the gates of the city and the city will take responsibility for dealing with it. There are a discretionary rule that needs to be there for the uh, for the utmost worst case scenario. It has to be there, right? So uh, this could be yeah, this could be for the worst case the worst case scenario. Yeah, need it has to be there, and God knows this. It has yeah. to. Be yeah, well, he's a, yeah, lot smarter than we are. <laughs> I'm lucky. Okay. I'm Aaron, yes, sir. The only other. Similar rule that has a similar connotation with this is when um, somebody in the family has gone into idolatry, has gone yeah. into worship of idol. You know, it's very yeah. similar with what is um, given here. Yeah, that was that was the previous yeah previous passages that um, yeah. that uh, once if you discover idolatry within your family, you yeah. your you the family have to take care of it. Yeah. Here you've got a yeah. That's right. That was a. It's a similar similar idea. But the evil ha evil has to be challenged. And yeah. um, if we had had a lot more braver people, then um, you know, we we would probably have uh, challenged evil a lot a long time ago. And it would be good for our, our communities. Okay. It's a, it's a good example of this. I'll try and say it quickly. But in the Isle of Man, they have very good rules. And they used to have the birch, which was given to really wayward kids. The fact is that they never used it in over 200 years. There wasn't a documented case. But my, uh, my grandfather's friend, who was the first deemster of the island, who was like the top judge of the island, had to go to the Court of Human Rights in Europe because they were hell-bent on taking away this uh, birching of kids, which they enforced <laughs> on the Isle of Man. And within a year... Uh, the kids were, you know, acting up as hooligans in a way they never had before, like they had, it, like they are in Britain. Yeah. So, uh, Birch is, uh, a, Birch is uh, the stick, uh, correct? 
yeah, it's like a birch stick. But as I say, it was just a deterrent. It was never used, and it was really a very effective deterrent that stopped hooliganism on this small island. Well, I think those of us who um, are not uh, not young, uh, we remember that when we went to school, we had a thing called the cane. Everyone ever had that? And uh, yep, grandma had a, had a switch. Yeah. Yep, yeah, canes. And um, look, I had it, and uh, I think I turned out okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, and spoil the child, they say. That's right, yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. not scarred for life. I'm not hobbling. Yeah. I'm not missing one limb. Um, uh, and, and I look back at my schooling and, 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 and usually think of it fondly. You know, I don't think of that. I think of bullying or other stuff, not... not, not uh, yeah, my father. Yeah, my father was a teacher, and then he was in the process of when they were taking it out because uh, they said that you know that the, the school didn't have the authority to that the, only the parents have the authority to use the rod or or the switch or the paddle, and so yeah. it got taken away. And I think Roddy, you're right. This is a worst case scenario, and it has to be in there. And uh, if, if they had taken it out, society would be different. Spiritually, we should challenge evil and not let it get be gotten away with. Purge, purge evil is a better word. Not purge, just purge evil, yeah, purge evil. So not just challenge it, but get rid of it. In, in, yeah. All right, so the man hanging on a tree. Okay. If a man has committed a crime punishable by death and he is put to death and you hang him on a tree, his body is not allowed to remain on the tree all night. Okay, but you shall bury him on the same day because a hanged man is cursed by God. Ooh. Uh, you shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. All right. So I'm going to assume most of us know the New Testament connotation for this verse or New Testament use of this verse. Yes. Yes. Yep. You know where, where it's from, guys? Right? It's uh, Galatians. Paul uses it in, a, in, in discussing um, that uh, Jesus had become um, a type of curse for a man who hangs on a, on a tree as cursed. Why do you think this is, is here? Um, what would be the reason why we would uh, hang a body on a tree? The man's already dead. You don't, you don't kill him by hanging him on a tree. Um, the, the Jewish method of, of execution is what way? Stoning. Stoning, right? And uh, stoning, isn't hit, you don't hit him in the head, you hit him where? This, where? this, is, a, this is a form of degradation because the crumbs into eyes and all that kind of thing. Yeah, this is, a, this is an extra piece of punishment that it sends a, um, a very imaging, uh, very... Uh, Strong message. Yes, stone. You stone the the chest. You crush the heart, not the head. And uh, and so, why do they put the body on a tree? Because they, as David says, they're trying to send a message. And um, the message is only allowed to be up there for a limited period of time. And the reason is. Um, because it's got something to do with the land. If you left the body on the tree, the land becomes defiled, which we have already noted in Numbers and in this chapter. 
that uh, that blood on the land pollutes the land. The land is not allowed to be defiled. The land and the people have a symbiotic relationship. In fact, um, I was reading one of the Psalms, uh, 85, I think, and, and, and all the time in that, in that Psalm, the people and the land are paired simultaneously. God is going to save the people and redeem the land. He's going to uh, give justice to the people and righteousness for the land. And, and uh, it's, very, those, it's, a, it's interesting that they have a symbiotic relationship. Okay, it so seems we get- to, it, it seems that Israel and the land have an even greater symbiotic relationship. Yeah. Yeah, as both the people of God and the and the and the the land given to them as an inheritance, of which God repeatedly also says, "This is mine." So we understand that a man has committed a capital crime. Okay, we have to we have to punish him. For some reason, it is it is such a horrific crime that we want to send out a warning, and and we involve some sort of degradation. We really punish him, his memory, and all that kind of stuff. So we put him in a prominent place. And, uh, but we can't leave him there uh, all day for the sake of the land. So what's this idea about a cursed then? Why would a dead body hanging on a tree invoke God's curse? What do you think, guys? Blood dripping into the ground, potentially. Well, if that was what we were worried about, we wouldn't have shoved him up there in the first place. One would hope. Created in the <clears throat> image of God. Could be. Um, you know, um, if, if, if the rule was we, we don't want to mar and disfigure human bodies, then surely the rule should have been don't hang a man on a tree. Period. Just... Kill him, okay? We understand he's, he's, he's a murderer or whatever. He's got the death penalty, okay? We kill him and bury the guy, right? Um, uh, we're done. But it appears that we do have incidences where we hang bodies on trees. Uh, yes, we could say that this is just a foreshadow of the Messiah, but that would make God utilitarian, which he is not. So there has to be some other explanation. Um, and But it does, there is this interesting thing where this man is cursed. And the word there is um, uh, kalat Elohim, cursed, cursed of God. Um, and the, 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 the word for curse, kala, does mean curse. But it's not the harshest of curses. There really is another word as well, okay? And that's um, arav, and that's uh, the one you see in Genesis, where where God says, "If you bless, I will bless; but if you kala, I'll arav." Okay, I will do the the much tougher one. Okay. Aaron, uh, yeah. May I ask a question in in relation to this? When Lord Jesus confirms that. He's going to, uh, the type of death he's going to suffer is that he'll be lifted up. This yep. is exactly so. When the apostles understood that, this is the verse that they would know about. Yes, most likely. Yeah, because they they actually refer to it right um, in the book of Acts. They describe that Messiah was hung on a tree. Okay, I know we use the word cross 
because we image we we uh, we think of the cross shape. However, um, uh, the actual he's actually stuck on a tree, uh, which is you know, not a Jewish method of execution. It's actually a Roman one. Um, Jewish the there does appear that Jewish people did hang bodies on trees, but only after they're dead, not to make them dead. But from 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 the perspective of of, of I think we there was an understanding that that, that 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 it was a Roman punishment, but actually they were thinking more of the the Jewish punishment than the Roman yeah. punishment. Sure, yeah, and they and they and they 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 said that the man is somehow cursed. Yeah, any idea why that would be? Yes, Aaron. Um, I think it's more about what the person has done. Um, because if you read in the, in the text before, it says that if a man is guilty of a capital offense and is put to death and you peeled him on the tree. So what that offense that he committed, um, it must be so bad that the people put him on the tree to show that because of what he has done is cost of God. So mm -hmm. that everyone will see and, you know, uh, it serves as a deterrent. They, they, they don't go that path anymore. So when mm -hmm. they see that this person is cost of God, then whatever that person did that make him to be put to death is, becomes a stigma that nobody wants to associate themselves with. Yep. And, and it also, um, because the rule is he's not allowed to stay there, uh, you got to bury him the same day, the text in the New Testament and the Gospels, they rush out to bury him before the day ends, right? They don't want to leave him up yes. there. Yes, yeah, because they, they, they want to bring the guilt on the land um, because yeah. no matter how much you want to show how terrible this person has done, what's yeah. terrible sin, you don't do it to, the, to cost the whole land, you know, the, its um, sanctity. Yeah. It, it's also interesting, Aaron, that... The land is cursed if a person hangs on a tree. Yeah. We link it there. But if you go to Genesis, when the Lord, in I think it's three somewhere, where, where he, God says, because you ate of the fruit of the tree, I'm yeah. going to curse the land. Yes. And I'm, I'm not saying there is a link, but it's very interesting that yeah. here's, here's this tree that they shouldn't have eaten on. Now somebody's hung on a tree yeah. and the land gets cursed. Yeah, and that tree was the tree of life. Yes, and obviously Yeshua's cross is a tree of life, and you know all those. There's lots of images where you could, you, we can go um, to town on on the spiritual crossovers, um, and and they're all there because the the the, the New Testament writers uh, all looked for them and they all found them and they all many of them quote this verse. To describe uh, how how you know Jesus took upon ourselves the curse and all those kinds of things, um, but so we'd be cutting off our nose to spy our face if we're going to inherit the land and we put yeah. him on a tree, and it's going to curse the land if we don't take the body down, then we're simply cursing our inheritance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it's also have a parallel uh, a parallelism with. Um, the person that has been um, flogged, you know, somebody should not be flogged more than um, 40 strokes or else that person becomes vile to his brothers. And yeah. so somebody should not hang on the tree overnight or the land becomes defiled. So, yeah. 
Yep. Yep. All of our discussion is excellent, but we still can't figure out why the man gets cursed. I mean, it could be, as Shimshon said, because he's done something so bad, like idolatry or some whatever his capital sin was that was so bad that um, it's an affront to the living God. And so we he's the type of guy we shove on, on, on uh, the tree. But let's also remember for the cross of Jesus, that wasn't a Jewish cross. That was a Roman method of execution. And so... The, um, the similarities are there spiritually, okay? Um, although the, the, the Jewish people are not hanging Jesus on a cross to show off an idolater. The, the Romans are doing that. And they, uh, um, however, hey, Aaron, uh, the in, spiritual in implication second, is definitely there. Yep. It's yep. interesting, um, Aaron, and, um, you know, the Gibeonites, they were killed and hung for, for exposure on the hill, the seven were cursed before the Lord and um, they were hung. And then it says the atonement for blood bloodshed was made. So the curse was removed from the land and then rain mm -hmm. came upon them. So it's, you see a lot of that for, you know, it's like to, to appropriate uh, propitiation for God's, you know, anger and wrath. And just right before that we have a rebellious son. So it's yeah. just, um, it's just, you know, it's, it's a lot of parallels there with, the rebellion and and God's uh, wrath. Yeah, rebellion is a, always a negative connotation in the Bible. It always leads poorly. Um, rebellion of, of of Babel and the dispersion of the people, um, the rebellion, rebellious children, rebellious Israel. You know, all kinds of rebellion. None of them go well. Um, uh, it's something that we should, if we can do our best to avoid um, as Paul Aaron, you have you have compound conditions here yeah I, from the English anyway if a man commits a sin worthy of death yeah and you hang him on a tree yeah then you've got to remove the body before nightfall or the ground will be cursed correct Is, does the Hebrew work out to that same basic King James version, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, all, all of that is there's no problem there. You've got a you've got a progression, and uh, and you don't want the land to be defiled. You take him down, but you still end up with this. He's cursed. He, he, he's he's kalad uh, Elohim, and um, and I couldn't find a good explanation why. I looked. I, I re read a few Leviticus. He just got a good point. Wow, spiritual thing. Yeah, and so it it has it has a a a, a point. I'm not 100 sure what it is, but it has definitely spiritual points. And yeah. and um, because as we read the Bible, remember, um, in in Jewish tradition, you have multiple levels of reading Bible, and the apostles Paul and those they they looked for this point, and they took the spiritual meaning as well. It's got a, it's got a it's got a, a physical thing. Um, but there's that spiritual meaning as well, and um, in the so Messiah, not all sin is worthy of death either. I mean, well, no, not all not all sin is worthy is worthy of death. Um, it had to and, be a sin that's worthy of death, yeah. and you kill him, and then you put him on the tree. So it yeah. has to be something egregious, like all the sins of all of yeah. mankind. And you take that one bit of a verse. You take that one verse that a a, a man hanging on a tree is cursed. 
right? And you and you apply it to Jesus, it's actually out of context. Because Jesus didn't do anything worthy of a capital crime. No, but we did. Correct. We did. He did. We, he took all of our sins Correct. worthy of death. Yes. Yeah. And so, so people are using the verse, and you could also almost imagine people sitting around a table having a discussion, and Paul says, you know, cursed is the man who hangs on a tree, and Yeshua hung on the tree, and he took our curse. And then people go, but he didn't do anything wrong. How can you apply that verse to him? Because, you know, he, he, he has, he's done nothing wrong than deserving of death. You're absolutely right. So why would he die then? And you can have these incredible discussions. Uh, uh, from the perspective of the, of the Sanhedrin at the time, they were not allowed to do this, hanging people Correct. on tree or stoning people, right? But Correct. yet they said his blood be on us. They sought his death. Yeah. So they were looking to curse him. Yeah. Would yeah. you say that... They, um, they figured that he had blasphemed, right? They, they were they looking for anything. They had... Remember, during his trial, they bring false witness after false witness and nobody works. No one, they can't seem to pin anything on him. And the, their final bit is they, they get him for blasphemy or what they think is blasphemy. <laughs> you were talking, Aaron, about Jesus's innocence and yes. that's kind of underscored, isn't it, by the foil of Judas Iscariot who buys a, who, who's oh, hung, hanged on a tree. That's um, right. So you have two guys hanging on a tree. One deserves it, one doesn't. <laughs> in, a, in a field of blood where it yeah. kind of suggests the land was cursed through that. So there's a, there's a yeah. parallel with Jesus' innocence and his yeah. and, and And a land defiled by blood. You know, I'd never thought of that before, yeah. that, that actually given this this uh, phrase, Dekel uh, Adaman, that really isn't very positive because that's everything we're trying to avoid. And then something very interesting, you know, I mean, besides the hanging on a tree yeah. is the whole daylight thing, you know, um, with the, you know, the sin of Baal, Baal Pure, uh, they, it's just in, in Numbers 25, take the leaders, these people, kill them, expose them in broad daylight before the right. Lord so that his anger may, may be turned away. So it's interesting as a propitiation, you know, by hanging a covenant breaker's body it's just and, and the whole thing about not only on the on the tree you know but uh, as well as the sunlight and that comes into play in several narratives I'll just add to this fact, you know, the, the only well galatians three thirteen really sums it up well christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law having become a curse for us for his written cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree where he quotes uh, deuteronomy 21 23 that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Yep. Now, what's interesting with the way Paul does that is he doesn't quote, A, the whole verse, and B, he quotes it out of context. But that was the way you could use Scripture. We don't seem to be able to follow those rules anymore because um, we don't know what they were. But he just takes, he takes a piece of text which is not in context and applies it expertly in a very spiritual way because there's no way that Jesus did any capital crime to warrant being cursed by God. No, but he became a curse for us. Correct. That's the Absolutely. spiritual application that he's making. And what I'm saying is he's doing it in a very interesting way because what he, what he appears to be doing is taking a verse out of context. He takes a, he only takes, he takes, Two words actually in Hebrew, 
Kalate Elohim. And uh, well, his point his point is that he redeemed us from the curse of the law. So why is the curse of the law? Why is the law a curse to us? Uh, I thought yeah. it leads us to Christ in the New Testament, right? It does. It does. It, it, uh, but because we have sinned, so we are guilty, and yeah. um, so He comes to redeem us from the from the guilt, not because yeah. the law is bad in itself. Correct. Absolutely. In fact, the, yeah. the only thing I see in the in the the only one that's kind of qualifies to hanging on the tree is Absalom. Absalom yeah. rebelled yeah. against the king, and um, he ends up hanging on the tree. Yeah, connected midah because he loved his hair, and once a year they'd cut <laughs> it and, and, and weigh the hair, and the hair and is so wonderful. Like, then he I gets said, killed by the hair. It's totally measure hair. for measure, man. <laughs> and yeah, is, absolutely. Um, I, I'm, we're going to have a Bible study over at REA's place. I think it's in a couple of weeks, um, where we're going to discuss the the concept. You know, does God actually curse people, and what does it mean if He does? Um, because uh, the, there are passages in the Bible, like in Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 3.33, where you know, God, the Lord's curse is on a house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. He can give both blessings and, and curses. And for whatever reason, which is unnamed here, the, the man hanging on a tree gets this thing called the curse of God or curse of God. Uh, it's a title that gets uh, plagued him. It's not going to affect him any much, any different because he's already dead. And, uh, and by this stage, probably been dead quite some time. And, um, and, and the Lord's still going to judge him anyway. Um, but it does set up a very deep spiritual principle. Um, again, as Moses is reflecting to the people of Israel, um, you do get that sense that the people in the land have some sort of very, very powerful symbiotic relationship and that they have to be careful in all of their doings um, hey Aaron, for both a blessing and a curse. Yeah, and then I was thinking about the blessing and the curse. Um, you know, Mo Moses, of course, towards the end of his life, you know, his blessings and curses, blessings if you obey, curses if you don't obey. Joshua, same thing, towards the end of his life, you know, uh, you choose me and my family we're, we're you know we're gonna we're gonna follow the lord we uh, we choose life and then it's interesting because if you take that blessings and curses uh at the beginning of jesus's ministry his public ministry uh he does all of the blessings that the the oh gosh uh, the beatitudes blessed yeah. are you so it's kingdom characteristics if you obey the law if you obey the word and then at the end of his public ministry which is i think um Matthew 24 or 28, I don't have to check. But then again, he says, woe to you. So it's blessings and curses. So he starts his public ministry with the blessings, if you obey. And then he yeah. ends his public ministry on the uh, the woes. And there's eight of them. And I think they're parallel one to the other. So it's very yeah, as, interesting. As, as the gospel writer tees it up that yeah, way. exactly. So you have at the end of each each of these, you know, the patriarchs, and then you go into uh, and with Jesus, he, same thing at the end. Be careful. Woe to you if yeah. you don't. But, but, and, but also, uh, also uh, by saying choose life, life is in the blood. Lord Jesus yes. shed blood for us. So he's now given us that life, that exact life. That, that that, that's another good spiritual application of that, of that life is in the blood and uh, blood for blood. Be careful with blood on the ground. And uh, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. There's a lot of that. Yeah, good one, David. I have to write all these down. 
All right. Do, do you think guys? when Jesus said, uh, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit our erects, he meant the land rather than the earth? Uh, what are you talking? Is that a theological question for the me the now? <laughs> okay. Somewhere. So, so of, the problem is you can read that two ways because A, Yeshua is talking to a group of Jewish people, okay, and uh, when he's giving those. However, he also knows that the kingdom that he's going to be building is going to have Gentiles in it. Um, can we all fit into the land of Israel? Uh, no. There's just too darn many of us. And, um, <laughs> and, 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 you know, it kind of is quite interesting that if in the new millennium we all live only on, in the Middle East and no one lives in Brazil ever again. That, <laughs> or Africa. I mean, you know, Nigeria's nice, mate, but you may as well come and go, move over here because where we're all going. Yeah, buy yeah. your plot of land now. Um, yeah. So, so it, it could be that he, on one level he is talking to Jewish people and they will inherit the land of Israel. Um, or he could be talking to the Gentile community, in which case we inherit the world and a renewed world, the world that it was meant to be um, when the Messiah is here, uh, a world that lives in perfect harmony with the humans that have been put on the world to have dominion. And the king of the world himself is alive and well on the planet, uh, ruling and reigning. And all of that will be, well, absolutely fantastic. And may that be soon. Um, however... Uh, until you have any properties, such a day arrives, any... we need to uh, continue to study and put into practice the, the spiritual things that we learn today, right? Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, so let's, um, well, we should, when we f purge evil from our communities, that doesn't mean kill people, but it does mean we can't let <laughs> evil sit, sit still. All right, guys. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King. <laughs>